So welcome everyone, those of you who are here for the meditation and those who've joined. It's good to see you. Good afternoon. Good evening to you. Afternoon here in Flagstaff at a uh, altitude of 7,000 feet. So not as hot as other parts of the state of Arizona where it's heat wave. Um, pretty warm for here. And uh, yeah, the introduction seemed pretty thorough. I don't think I need to say a whole lot more. I teach a lot at the Insight Meditation Society and uh, Spirit Rock on the West Coast and various other places. I just finished teaching a retreat in Taos, New Mexico. Um, yeah, and it's it's great to see you. I, I try to show up here at CIMC once in a while. I used to teach uh, retreats with Narayan at uh, IMS periodically, but I uh, haven't been doing that for a few years. We hear words like freedom and liberation fairly often around Dharma centers, places like CIMC. I actually looked at the CIMC website and the word liberation, uh, liberating is in the very first sentence of the sort of Explanations. The first thing you see when you click on open the website, first um, paragraph, the first sentence, where he talks about the uh, liberating practice of insight meditation. And I just glanced over the website and saw the words liberation and freedom in many places there. And I'm wondering what comes to your mind when you hear those kinds of words, liberation or freedom. Do, does that have any meaning for you in a personal way or does it evoke anything i mean it sounds good liberation freedom but does that is that something you're interested in is that part of your draws you to this practice or is it just a, a word that doesn't really have any direct meaning for you and i'm asking it rhetorically i don't really think i am in a position <clears throat> to take question or to take responses although uh, maybe maybe after the talk if there's time but sometimes th that word maybe that evokes something real some sense of of what that might be in terms of of this practice but sometimes that's like well I don't know about that I don't know that I'm interested in liberation liberation from what and the Buddha was interested in the subject of liberation or freedom, although he always spoke about it in terms of freedom from suffering. And in one place, he's quoted very famously as saying, I now and before I teach one thing only, suffering and the end of suffering. <clears throat> now that's a strong statement. And again, when you hear me or someone else say something like that, the Buddha said he's taught suffering and the end of suffering, that only one thing. And that's over a long 40-year teaching career, giving, you know, volumes of discourses that there you can find in the Pali canon alone, let alone in other traditions where there are other, other things that are attributed to the Buddha. I mean, just that understanding freedom and, and finding the end of it, that sounds really good, I think. But does that seem like a real possibility to you? 
Is that something that, again, is is an aspect of your interest or motivation in, in attending this evening or your practice of meditation, whatever that is for you in your life? I mean, what, what does it mean, freedom from suffering? In, in his very first discourse, the Buddha defines suffering as a noble truth. How could suffering ever be noble? He said this, now this bhikkhus, I'm going to substitute the word practitioners. Now this practitioners is the noble truth of suffering. Birth is suffering. Aging is suffering. Illness is suffering. Death is suffering. Union with what is displeasing is suffering. Separation from what is pleasing is suffering. Not to get one, one, what one wants is suffering. In brief, the five aggregates subject to clinging are suffering. Well, that's an interesting, the last sentence seems kind of different than the first ones. And it's, I mean, how can we find freedom from suffering when, when birth, we've taken birth, <laughs> We're all aging. Some of us, it's more apparent than others. We'll all probably experience illness, and we're all going to die. If we take birth, that's the trajectory of our life. And we're going to be separated from what, we're, what we like, and we're going to get stuff we don't like. And we're not going to get what we want all the time. So. So the, he must be talking about something other than, he's not talking about those things not happening. <laughs> They're going to happen. And there is pain and sorrow and sadness and grief in a life. If we have a body, it's physically painful. We have a mind, sometimes the mind is in pain, feels sadness, feels loss, and all of the emotions and joy and happiness and everything. 10,000 joys, 10,000 sorrows. This is the the fabric of an existence includes these qualities. But, but suffering in relation to that flow of change, that's, that's a different matter. It's not the end of pain and sorrow, not the end of, of aging, sickness, and death. But the last sentence of that, in brief, the five aggregates subject to clinging are suffering. I mean, how does that land in your heart and mind? Does it make any sense? The five aggregates subject to clinging. You know, there's so many lists. This is the list. This is one of the things in the fives. There's, there's all these the one of this and the two of that and the three of the other. And, and is this just another aspect of that list that you're supposed to somehow memorize if you're a good Buddhist or a sincere practitioner? Does it have any meaning? I mean, the word aggregate right there. <laughs> what does the Buddha mean? Does it have any relevance for us as we go through our days? You know, I, I don't tend to use the word aggregate on a regular basis in my everyday conversations. I think geologists might because it is a kind of rock that's uh, made up of other things, rocks kind of mushed together, heated and glued through pressure and heat, I think. Don't quote me on that. I'm not a geologist. 
but it's that composite. But we don't, it's not a common word. And I, it's, it's a translation of a Pali word, P-A-L-I, the language that's spoken at the time of the Buddha, as close as we know. The word kanda is what gets translated as aggregate, but that literally means something like a heap or a bundle. And it seems to, I think it was a commonly used word at the time the Buddha was living in northern India, unlike aggregate for us. And I think maybe the translators chose to use the word aggregate for this Pali word kanda because it sounds more sophisticated than heap, you know the discourse on the five heaps of stuff sounds a little, doesn't sound as cool as, you know, the five aggregates subject to clinging the discourse, the five bundles of stuff. I like the word kanda. So these aggregates, I'm just going to list them here. They're rupa, which is materiality, material form. So it includes the body and all material form in, in the world around us, internally, externally. Vedana, which is very specific feeling tone of pleasant, unpleasant, or neither of those, or we can say neutral. Sanya, which is perception. Sankara, which are is translated as mental or volitional formations. And vijnana, which is concert, consciousness. And if you're familiar with the uh, discourse of the Satipatthana Sutta, you'll recognize that materiality and feeling tone are part of that body, at least in the Satipatthana. But basically, like the four Satipatthanas, which is a, a sort of a framework of looking at all of our experience, all human experience, in terms of um, insight meditation techniques, vipassana, the uh, aggregates includes all of our experiences, just framed in a particular way for a particular purpose. And so it's just saying all of the heap of stuff that makes up who we are. And in meditation, material form, we tend to, because the meditation process is very kind of inwardly focused, we tend to mostly look at materiality in terms of our each of our physical bodies because it's right there right at hand we can feel into it so directly in the meditation but it's all the physical matter in the world and it's our direct non-conceptual experience of these things so sensations like movement sensations of heat and cold and pressure and hardness and softness and textures and wetness and all of these things that are are aspects of materiality and they're common to all material phenomena, whether it's our own body or the world around us, hardness, click your teeth together gently, hardness. That's the same as, as the hardness if you were to tap your finger against a rock. So it's just this direct sense, felt sense there. And then the other four are mental processes. So this feeling tone, which we could think of as the flavor of an object, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant or neither, neutral. Perception, which some, uh, some people like to translate that as cognition. But it's a mental factor that distinguishes 
qualities and then names objects based on memory and past experience. So it, it takes a sense of coolness and touch and hardness, and it will name it pen and so forth. So it's just a labeling, you could say, the naming of, of things and experience. Sankara is mental formations or volitional formations, and it's it's a mental factor that leads to actions of body and speech. That's that kind of mental energy. And it also includes, Sankara includes desires and emotions and the roots of wholesome and unwholesome actions. So you could say it includes factors like greed, hatred, and delusion, and generosity, goodwill, and wisdom, and all a whole range of wholesome and unwholesome skillful and unskillful mind states. And then consciousness is just the very basic knowing. There's different ways to look at it, but one way that I think is really helpful in meditation and, and gets us right to our, our felt direct experiences in terms of the six sense spaces that make up our, our how we know things through contact at the ear, the eye, the nose, the tongue and mouth, the body and the mind. And so contact at the eye door and seeing consciousness, which is just knowing, seeing. It's the bare knowing of that. Hearing consciousness, smelling consciousness, tasting of the mouth and tongue, sensing in the body, tangible sensations. And then mind and mind consciousness that knows mental objects like ideas and memories and mental images and all of this sounds kind of technical, but if you get to your direct experience, it's just it's just what's going on all the time. Consciousness seems a lot like perception, but it's really different. Consciousness is just the bare knowing, and perception then names things. So consciousness, for example, for me looking this over here in my room, uh, sees shape and form seeing and perception names it as buddha rupa buddha statue i'm looking at my altar here so these five heaps of stuff <laughs> khandas they're, they're in all of our experiences included in that nothing is left out of it and, and they're like the processes they're really processes that make up our experience and a friend of mine, colleague and friend, a meditation teacher, Andrea Fella, some of you might know her, she she calls them the tumbling on of, at least sometimes she, or once, I don't know, maybe she always does this, she once referred to them as the tumbling on of our being. And I, I like this, this, it's a nice image for me, and and it brings the impermanent flow-like process nature of this to the forefront of things. Because if we look at this process of our experience, it's just this flowing on of context. It's a sight, it's a sound, it's a taste, it's a smell, it's a thought, it's a memory, it's a, an emotional state, a mind state, and, and it's one after the other, and it's tumbling on like water over rocks in a stream bed, which I, I like, like this image also because it it shows that if we really look at what we are, it's a process more than it is a thing. 
when we look at our direct experiences, this flowing on. And it also is just an aspect of nature. This flowing on is, we're not doing it. If we stop doing anything, let's just stop. Don't do anything for a minute. The, the, the tumbling on of our being continues. You know, there are still sights and sounds and mental objects and all the rest. It, it doesn't stop. So we're, I'm not, at least I'm not doing it in my case. There's no, no, it's just, it's just unfolding on its own. So here's an example from my own life this morning. I got up early and I went out into my back, out the back door into my yard. I live in a, in a house with a yard. And at this altitude, even though it's summer, the mornings are delightfully cool. It's beautiful. It's so sweet. So pleasant. So the feeling of pleasantness, that's that. Just um, feeling my body and the contact with my feet on the grass. This is part of the rupa kanda, the materiality, sensing things through contact in the body. And perception functions and names things. So there are sounds, there are sights, naming trees, grass, bush, bird, bird feeder, goldfinch. And then thoughts arise in relation to this. Oh, the bird feeders are getting empty. They're getting low. I should top up the bird feeders. And I need to clean and fill the bird watering bird baths that I have in my yard. And so these are actions. This is sankara, volitional formations that lead me to, to do things, to take actions. And so consciousness was just there functioning all the time, the bare knowing. It. There was the knowing of all these experiences. And then my plans, oh, I, I'm out almost out of birdseed. I better find, go to the, make time to go to the store and purchase some birdseed. And so this is the, this is the flowing on of our existence and it's you know it's really mundane <laughs> I mean, that's that's a typical early morning for me you know, i might wander out into the cool before i i sit in meditation do some qigong that's my usual morning but I, I just go outside i like also i check the flowers you know i i've planted lots and lots of native plants and shrubs and trees in the yard i'm trying to get natives there and some of them are like the evening primrose the the flowers have been open all night and they're they're still there in the early morning. They're so beautiful. And I love to hear the birds waking up. So this is this, they're constantly informing and conditioning and tumbling on one into the other. And I I didn't do I didn't do it. It just was happening. <laughs> This tumbling on of our being, I love this image. And it happens so quickly, this flow. And we, we don't distinguish these aggregates, and we don't need to distinguish these aggregates. It's not like, but we could put our aggregate glasses on and kind of, you know, choose to look at it that way. It's, it's sometimes it's, it's interesting and useful. But, but they happen so quickly and it's such, 
such an interrelated way that they 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 aren't it's hard to tease them apart sometimes so material form and perception like right now sitting here let your attention rest with with your hands maybe your hands are resting in your lap or one of them resting on your flag or on your head or anywhere one hand or both hands doesn't matter and if i ask you now can you feel your hands touching or your hand touching if i ask that i'll just ask it nicholas can you feel your hand yes i think we would we would say that and you might say yes i feel my hands touching or i feel my hand but we, we, what do we actually feel? So I'll report out loud my experience right now. I feel this feel, touching sensation and coolness and warmth and a subtle tingling and light pressure. And it's changing. And I could go, if I just kept reporting in real time, it would be a, a flow of that kind of flow. Uh, you, can't, you can't actually experience hands. You can experience all the kinds of things I described. It's like the hand disappears, but then but then it comes right back if we need to use it because I, I'm reaching for my water bottle because I have very dry mouth. It's so dry here at 7,000 feet and this time of year. So I'm gonna take a drink. And so my hands disappeared for a while. <laughs> But they were there when I needed them to, because hands are really useful, super useful. But it's a concept. Hand is a concept, a construction in the mind. You could say it's a fabrication. And this is perception at work. So perception uses hand to reach for bottle. But the direct experience is movement, movement, feeling, sensing, touching coolness, lifting, pressure, holding, and, and all of the other words describing the process of me doing that, but all of the sensations there are moving and touching and pressure and heaviness and so forth. Does this make sense? You know, it's, and it's not that only one of, hand is real and pressure warmth tingling is real we we don't have to toss one of those out <laughs> we don't have to toss out you know we don't have to throw away our feet feel your feet on the floor wherever they are yes i feel my feet but no i actually feel stickiness and pressure and warmth and vibration so uh, feet Feet weren't there, but yes, they are. I can see them, and I'll, I'm going to use them to stand up and walk away from this computer in a while. So it's useful to know the difference between this direct felt sense of our experience moment to moment and, and the or perception, the world realm of concepts. It's useful to be able to distinguish the difference because we tend to live in the world of in, of concepts and in meditation we're interested in in dropping below that you could say 
And so the reason it's important is because a concept hand doesn't change. It's just an idea that it's in my mind right now. There's no, it doesn't change. It's a fixed idea that may be present at a moment or not. But my experience of my hands, that's nothing but change. There's nothing but change there in that. If we look closely, if we get closely, which we get this radical intimacy of meditation, it's changing really rapidly if we get close to it and and they're really touching to it. And it's all just change. It's all this process. So the aggregates, aggregate is a concept, but if we have, if we directly feel into the sense, if we just sense into our experience in each moment, that's the aggregates, that's the tumbling on of our existence. And sometimes we can look at it. And, be, and the Buddha said, the five aggregates subject to clinging are suffering. So he was highlighting the fact that suffering and freedom from suffering are related to this quality of clinging, grasping in the mind. It also shows up as a kind of identification, me, mine, we, we grab onto it, it's my hand, my hand is doing things. And it's how we're relating to this tumbling on of our being. So the suffering and non-suffering is, it, it rises and passes depending on what's going on in relation to it. I hope this makes, I'm trying to make this pragmatical and, and you know, there's no such word as pragmatical. <laughs> Somehow uh, meaningful right in the moment. But it's really interesting because it sits right, it takes us to the heart of what the Buddha taught when he said, I teach one thing, one thing only, suffering and the end of suffering. Well, that's kind of shorthand for the Four Noble Truths, really. And it sits on the cusp between the first and the second, the nature of suffering to be understood, suffering is to be understood, the noble truth of suffering, and the second noble truth, the noble truth of the cause of suffering, which is to be seen and abandoned, released, liberated. Really early in my days of, of getting really interested in and, and doing a lot of meditation practice and not spending time on retreats. And I was doing some reading and uh, there was a book that I, maybe someone suggested I look at or I stumbled across it called Heartwood of the Bodhi Tree. It's a, it's a small uh, volume. It's a small book. It's by um, a Thai master named Ajahn Buddha Dasa. And he was kind of a, he was a wild kind of radical teacher and also incredibly highly, highly respected, but kind of an iconoclast in Thai Buddhism, at least in some ways. And, and I think, sometimes I think if I were to be stranded somewhere, that's the book I would want to have with me. I find it so useful to reflect on some of the some of what he points to. In there. And in, one, in that book, he, he said the entirety, all of the Buddhist teaching can be summed up in one short Pali phrase, which is four words, sabbe dhamma nalang abhini vesaya. And it means, sabbe means all, like in sometimes metta chants, we say sabbe sata, all beings. Sabbe means all or things. Dhamma in this case means things, 
sabbe dhamma. Nalang means should not or don't. And abhini vesaya means to cling to something. So it's it's all things not clung to. <laughs> Nothing whatsoever should be clung to. Don't cling to anything. And he said, Buddha, in Buddha Das's view, he said, if you've heard this, you've heard all of the teachings. If you've practiced it, you've practiced in all of the teachings. And if you've realized the fruits of it, you've realized all possible fruits of this practice. Nothing whatsoever is to be clung to. Now, this same phrase is in the suttas in one place where um, Bhikkhu Bodhi, who translated, he's a great translator, and his translation of the middle-length discourses, he translates it as, nothing is worth, worth adhering to. And he's, uh, it's part of a, um, a conversation with um, the king of the devas, Saka, comes to the Buddha. He often comes to the Buddha and asks a question. And he says, venerable sir, in brief, how in brief is a practitioner liberated, the word liberated there again, through the destruction of clinging? And the Buddha said, here, ruler of gods, a practitioner has heard that nothing is worth adhering to. When one has heard that nothing is worth adhering to, one directly knows everything. Having directly known everything, one fully understands everything. So very similar unfolding there. I, I kind of like the word adhering because it's like adhesive. It's it's don't stick to anything. Don't get stuck to anything. Don't glue yourself to things. It's an interesting uh, version of clinging. Don't, nothing whatsoever. You should not glue yourself to anything at all, ever. Uh, Joseph Goldstein, some of you know, the one of the founders of the Inside Meditation Society, and one of my uh, main teachers over many, many years, and very dear being to me. He says, um, it doesn't matter what you don't cling to. Or he says, it doesn't matter to what you do not cling. <laughs> I, I've elaborated that. It doesn't matter to what you do not cling, and it also doesn't matter when you don't cling. So we could just not cling right now. Let's not do it right now. And if we notice some form of clinging, <laughs> let it go. I mean, if we just sit here, if we just sit quietly, don't do anything. I'll just speak for myself because that's the only experience like but I, i'm not seeing clinging right now now it may be that there's delusion present and probably till we're fully enlightened there will be things we don't see <laughs> i could be overlooking something <laughs> probably i am overlooking something so so these five aggregates are the way the buddha talked about them was in terms of these are the things we tend to adhere to, to identify with, to claim as I, as me, as who I am. And so in meditation, we can recognize them for what they are. So we can see materiality as material form, as form, feeling tone, as feeling tone, separate and distinct from material form. 
and yet very related to it, conditioned by it. Tumbling on one into the other, perception as perception. We see that they are concepts, useful, but not a reflection of ultimate reality. And it's good to know that because sometimes we misperceive. And it can really cause problems. Sometimes they're useful, sometimes they aren't. But they're just impersonal acts of nature. When we contemplate who we are, our experience, we'll see it's just a natural process. We don't own it and we do not have control over it. And the Buddha talked about one really simple way to contemplate them. He said, one knows such as material form, such as its arising, and such as its passing away. And the same for the other four, such as perception, such as its arising, such as passing away, such as feeling, such as mental volitional energy, such as consciousness. So this interesting tuning that he did so often, tuning to the fact that it's this is how it arises, this is how it passes away. And if we look closely, they're all arising and passing away over and over and over. I mean, sometimes when mindfulness, if, if the mind is very still and mindfulness is very steady, we will see contact in the arising and passing of consciousness. But boy, it happens fast. So we don't see it that often. <laughs> but it, it's doing that. We can see it. And so seeing it in terms of it's such as it's arising, such as it's passing away, it can really cut through the tendency to cling to it because it's like, you know, oh, clinging to a handful of water. It's just, you can't. So clinging to any of it as a strategy for finding peace, contentment, freedom from suffering, it's it's doomed to futility because it's still rising and passing. Clinging to it doesn't keep it from arising and passing. It's, it does that whether we cling to it or not. But since but clinging tends to be, it's like we get rope burn or we don't. You know, if we hold on to a rope that's slipping, the only way to not get rope burn is to let it go. So clinging doesn't keep things from arising and passing. Again, from Ajahn Buddhadasa, what is the world full of? It is full of things that arise, persist, and cease. Grasp and cling to them, and they produce suffering. Rope burn. Don't grasp and don't cling to them, and they do not produce suffering. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty simple and straightforward. But in you know, it's it's <laughs> it's not necessarily so easy to do. So we don't even see that we're doing it. We don't see that we're we get the rope burn and it hurts, but we don't see that we're holding on as it slips through our hands. Our meditation gives us the possibility to to see this. So I need I gotta wrap this up, but there's a, I can go a little long. Um, so this energy of clinging, you know, we need to understand what that is so that we can see when it's happening. It tends to show up in two main ways, either as ownership or appropriation. 
I like appropriation. You know, it's mine or belonging to me. I often say our practice is giving back to nature what we mistakenly appropriated as our own. <laughs> that, that's what we're doing here. We just give it back. We release something that isn't ours in the first place. And then the other way it shows up is, as I've been talking about, is as identification as uh, who or what I am. And there's a there's a way that it's talked about by Bhikkhu Analayo, who's a scholar, teacher, monk, that I think is really great. He's this simple way. He said, they're embodiments of the notion I am. Now, he's one who uses con cognition for perception. So that's the word here for that. But he says, from the unawakened point of view, the material body is where I am. We usually think I'm somewhere in, in this thing, usually somewhere inside the skull. Feelings are how I am, where I am, how I am, feelings, uh, perceptions, cognitions, in his words, what I am. I am these parts of this body. I am this person walking around. Volitions are why I am, like what I'm going to do about it all. So stuff that leads to actions. And consciousness is kind of whereby I am, like the the, the sort of base level that says, well, I, I am, I exist. <laughs> because, you know, what is it? That, what is the famous thing? I, I think, well, I think, therefore I am, or I know things, therefore I am from, from other philosophers. And he says, in this way, each aggregate offers its own contribution to enacting the reassuring illusion that I am. <laughs> Supporting this reassuring illusion. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's, is it reassuring? I, I guess it, sometimes I don't think it's reassuring. Sometimes I don't experience this as reassuring necessarily. And so we 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 can see, you know, it's like body, that's where I am, Vedana, feeling tone, how I am, I'm happy, I'm unhappy, it's pleasant, I like it, I don't like it, and so on. Perception creating concepts, body, arm, head, brain, me, mine, I, you know, my stuff, my bottle, my whatever. And consciousness, this evidence that I do exist. Sort of this initial, because that's the where things start in this final. Um, reference, point of reference. You know, we, we land with a knowing. And then clinging to them as though they're subject to our control. The Buddha said this, bhikkhus, practitioners, form is not self. Were form self, then this form would not lead to affliction. It wouldn't get old and sick and die. <laughs> and one could say of form, let my form be thus. Let my form not be thus. Let my form be young. Let my form not be old. Let it have lots of hair. Let it not be getting bald or whatever we feel like in the moment. Let its teeth not decay. Let it, but since form is not self, it does lead to affliction. It does get old, get sick, and die. And one cannot say of it, let it be thus. Let it not be thus. And, and then he goes through the rest of them. You know, he always, he's very repetitious. He said, the feelings were, you know, we could say, let me only have pleasant feelings. <laughs> let me only perceive pleasant objects. <laughs> let, let me always like it. <laughs> let me always be happy. 
you know, we were not in control. Although we should look for control. I mean, it shows up, someone defines samsara, this wandering, endless wandering in search of happiness and not finding it as the urge to fix or correct. <laughs> you know, we want to fix it so it's the way it's supposed to be. I'm only supposed to have pleasant feelings in the body. I'm not supposed to be getting these headaches I've been getting so frequently now that are really difficult. That's not, so I need, I need to fix that. And that doesn't mean, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find a solution to it, but, but that's different. There's a difference there. But they're not amenable to our will. They're just, they're, they're, they're like I said, if we stop, don't do anything. The tumbling on of, of our existence, it just keeps tumbling. It seems so clear sometimes. And so, so then meditation, one way to see it is, I see, I think this is actually very true. We use the tool of meditation to explore and understand what it is to be a human, what, what it actually is in the deepest possible sense. And exploring things in terms of these aggregates, don't you have to remember them <laughs> to explore them? Bhikkhu Bodhi again, if we care to understand ourselves, what we have to understand is the five aggregates. To fully understand the five aggregates means to see them as they really are. And this means to see them in terms of the characteristics of existence, the three uh, marks of existence, the impermanent, unsatisfactoriness, suffering, those two exchanged synonymously, and selflessness, not self. That means not amenable to our will, impersonal, not mind to control. And so this whole exploration is a way to see, instead of living our lives with this kind of low level of anxiety or unease or vulnerability or yeah, vulnerability, because things are going to change. And we don't want, no one over going to like what they change into. We're not running the show. We, we, we actually can see, if we explore, we, we start to understand where this quality of clinging, identification, how this is a source of suffering. Because until we see it, it's like, if we're clenching our fist, but we don't see it, but we can feel it there. But if we clench our fist, you can clench your fist now if you want to. Feel it, squeeze that baby, get some white knuckles there. And now just stop squeezing it. Ah, oh, that's nice. That's relief. That's a kind of liberation. And so then we can just stop squeezing. We don't have to pry it open. <laughs> It'll open slowly on its own. So we see suffering and, and the reality of, of freedom and this liberation from non-clinging. This is, maybe it's one final letting go, but it's moment by moment. We can notice the clinging and release it, notice it and release it, feel it and release it. And it points to the possibility, not only momentarily, but this the end of suffering, which the Buddha said was, I teach suffering in the end of it as a possibility if we just don't ever cling, if clinging is abandoned completely. 
So I'll end with some words of the Buddha. It's always good to quote the Buddha himself. The famous teaching where he's he's wandering through the, the Jetta Grove, this beautiful park nowadays in India where he was uh, lived, spent a lot of the rains retreats there. What do you think, bhikkhus, practitioners, if a person were to gather or burn as or do as they like with the grass, twigs, branches, and leaves here in Jetta's grove, here in the Jetavana, would the thought occur to you, it's us this person is gathering, burning, and doing with as they like? No, Lord, replied the monks. Why is that? Because those things are not ourself, nor do they belong to ourselves. Even so, monks, whatever isn't yours, let go of it. Your letting go of it will be for your long-term welfare and happiness. And what isn't yours? Form is not yours. Feeling isn't yours. Perceptions are not yours. Mental fabrications, mental volitional energies are not yours. Consciousness isn't yours. Let go of them. Your letting go of them will be for your long-term welfare and happiness. Well, thank you for your kind attention. At least from my point of view, it was kind. But you're all muted, so I can't and I can't hear your your thoughts. <laughs> so maybe it wasn't all kind, but felt kind to me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take it on that way. And um, yeah, thanks for coming this evening. Really happy to spend this time. You know, I was sit when we were sitting in meditation. I just thought, what a cool thing to do to just sit in silence with a group of people, some of whom never have never met and some I've known for years and all the range and and just sit here in silence and and look at right now this this is this is my life you know to show up for it in this way of I call it radical intimacy where we just really I'm going to really touch it gently but I'm going to get right up I'm going to rub right up next to all of it you know, let it touch me. All blessings to everyone. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.